Turn to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is one of my favorite psalms. I've actually preached on it before. I'm really just using it as a reference because what I want it to do for us today is give us a picture of what it looks like to flourish. Look back at verse 3. The man who is basically seeking after the Lord is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. So this tree is a fruitful tree. It's a luscious tree. It's strong. It's firm. This is the idea of flourishing. And what I want us to see today is how can we flourish as disciples? What are the essential things that we need to do to grow as disciples. Now, with all the rain we've been getting lately, you've probably been cutting your grass a whole lot, or you should have been. Uh, Tons and tons of rain causes tons and tons of grass to grow. And I'm blessed to have um, two fine young men in my family who are the grass cutters. So it has been a while since I've cut the grass. I've had to sub in if one of them's not feeling well. But they do an amazing job. And I don't know why, but for some reason, um, I, I care about how my lawn looks. Okay, I don't know why. It is. I was thinking about that even today. I'm like, you know, some people, they really like hunting. Some people really like this hobby or that. For some reason, I just I like my lawn to look, to look really nice. So I seed it every fall. I do the aeration. I mean, I do all that stuff. Um, and, and God blessed our home when we bought it. It already had like the in-ground sprinkler system. So I just boop, hit a little button, and my lawn gets watered. It's pretty cool. But um, <laughs> why do I mention that? Um, because I showed you a, a picture a few weeks ago. Oh, one of my sons has made it very clear to me. I should mention this. I won't tell you which one, uh, Job. But... Um, <laughs> He's made it very clear to me that his yard someday will not look like my yard, all right? He's not concerned about weeds or bare spots or anything like that. I was kind of laughing to myself because I, I can see him one day, maybe 10 years from now, calling me up and being like, Dad, can you help me with my lawn? <laughs> anyway, I showed a picture a few weeks ago. I'll show it to you again. And I asked, uh, which side... Do you want to be? On the left side, there's grass growing all the way up to the edge of the house. On the right side, it's not as clear, but you can see some of the straw and no grass. But there's actually, there's actually grass seed there. Uh, what, 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 what happened there? There's one, one thing that was missing that's needed for grass to grow. Water. Okay, the way my sprinklers were set up at the time, I've fixed it since. But they did not hit that section. 
Okay? No water, no growth. So you need the water. There's essentials that you need for growth. You need water, you need soil, you need nutrients, you need sunlight, you need CO2. But you want to know the one thing that people always leave out? God. God. They always leave out God when it actually comes to physical growth. Spiritual growth, that's like a no-brainer. That'd be your first answer. Uh, You want spiritual growth, you need God. You want physical growth, you actually also need God too. I want to look uh, first briefly at a biblical view of God's creation. When I say creation, I mean everything he's created. A lot of times people's theology of creation begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's, that's where we need to begin. But it's also where people's theology of creation ends. And that's not good. Um, the biblical view is that without God, nothing happens. Nothing at all happens. Look at Psalm 65. Let's start in verse 5 of Psalm 65. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your, your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. Where is all this coming from? God. It's all coming from God. The biblical view is that God is behind every flower that blossoms, every little seed, seedling that shoots up out of the ground. That's from God. Every crop that produces food. And a lot of times, because our culture is so secular, because our culture is so science-driven, We just think, oh, well, if we have the right physical ingredients, it's going to happen. The scriptures, that was not the view of the biblical writers. God had to be a part of the picture. He's involved in all of it. Look at Psalm 147, verse 16, talking about the Lord here. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. All right, all you snow people out there should be real happy about that, okay? Your snow comes from the Lord. I thank him for it only because it's from him, all right? But I am not a snow fan. And I think we're safely out of snow season, but you never know. So he gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. So whatever is happening in creation, God is behind. You might think it's secondary. I'd say it's primary. He's the driving force. In fact, in ancient times, and still even some traditional Jews, the mealtime blessing reflects this theology of creation. 
they basically quote from Psalm 104 and say, Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. So God's involved in the big details. He's involved in the small details. Listen, without God, the crops don't grow. Without God, the plants don't grow. Without God, the trees don't grow. The fruit isn't produced. We need rain, yes. We need sun, yes. We need good soil, yes. But we also need God even for physical life and growth. He gives the growth, and he also sustains the life. Look at what Colossians gives us regarding this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, talking about Jesus here. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Did you catch that last part? In him all things hold together. What's, what's apart from all things? Let's list some things that aren't a part of the all things. No, there's nothing. All things, all things hold together. If he were to remove his hand for one split second from creation, it would utterly and entirely fall apart and be destroyed. He is the sustainer, not just of spiritual life, but of physical life. Now, this couldn't be any clearer than in God's commands to the Israelites to give the land a Sabbath rest. You might have heard of it before. Look at Leviticus 25. Look what he says, starting in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself and for your male and female slaves, and for your hired worker and the sojourner who lives with you, and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. All its yield shall be for food. I mean, think about that for a second. An entire year of no crops. An entire year. Look what the Lord promises, though. Jump down to verse 20. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year, if we may not sow or gather in our crop, I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop, you shall eat the old until the ninth year when its crop arrives. I mean, you want to talk about trust, the Lord. Like, you're going to let the land go follow and not do any work, not plant any seed, not bring any harvest for an entire year. That's trust. But what is God showing to us? He is in charge of the land. He is in charge of the physical He's in charge of it. Think about that. So in year six, 
three times the amount you need because you need something for, to eat in year six. Then you need something to eat in year seven because you're not out there, that nothing's been planted. There's not going to be a harvest. And then since you didn't plant anything for the harvest in year seven, you need something to cover you in year eight when you can start planting again. Three times the amount. Like how else would something like this be possible without the Lord? Land just doesn't become like super fertile on its own. And just all of a sudden, every six or seven years, just boom, produce tons of crops. No, it doesn't work like that. But what would this require the Israelite to do? I mean, year six is starting, right? And the crop is bigger than normal. And they're able to save quite a bit. And they're asking themselves, will it last them? Not just next year, but for two more years. And it's year seven, and they've already eaten the stuff from year six, and they're eating their stuff into year seven, and it's time to go plant the seeds. And they have to make a decision. Will they trust the word of the Lord? What did they have to do? They had to trust. They had to trust him. So what's my point in all of this? You want to flourish. You have to realize that you're utterly and entirely dependent on the Lord. Not just for the, the spiritual stuff, but for the physical stuff. Everything. God has a hand in, in, in all of it. Even down to the little tiny grass seed. He's got his hand in it. You want your crops to flourish? The Lord is over that. You want your business to flourish? The Lord is over that. You want your home to flourish? The Lord is over that. You want your job and your work to flourish? The Lord is over that. And listen, God is more pleased with the worker who labors and labors, never gets that promotion, and he thanks the Lord for his job and realizes that he has his job not because of some piece of paper that gives him a degree. He's got his job because the Lord has blessed him with that job. And he's thankful to the Lord for it. And that pleases the Lord much more than the believer who's all super sharp and he gets all the promotions and doesn't even pause to thank the Lord or maybe just throws up a trifle little, oh, thanks, Jesus. God wants us to acknowledge that everything is from his hand, everything we have. And you want your schooling to flourish? Well, the Lord is over that. And he is much more pleased with the C student who struggles with this class and is, I mean, he's just studying all the time, begging the Lord to help him pass, finally earns that C, then the student who just easily gets an A is like, oh, nice job, self. I'm so smart. No, the Bible says you're quite the fool. Look at what James 1, 17 says. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from where? Above. I couldn't hear you. Where is it from? Thank you. Every good and... Good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Everything is from the Lord. Every good gift is from Him. And when you start seeing things like that, guess what happens? Things get turned upside down so that you start seeing things turned the right way. The Lord is over everything. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Look, he owns it all. He has it all. It's his to give. It's his to take. 
And we take that for granted or we dismiss it when it comes to the physical realm. We have to stop doing that. The Lord wants us dependent on him for everything. Everything. We should, every good gift comes from him. If, if we started to list all the good gifts and went one by one and we started over here next to Chris and we just went down through the rows and we ended with Jeff in the back, I mean, we should be here not just for hours, probably for days and weeks. Because God is so good to us. He is so good. He gives us good gifts. He gives us perfect gifts. And guess what? He knows what each one of you needs. He knows the gift for Lorene. He knows the gift for Jerry. He knows the gift for Michael. He knows what each gift that you need. Now think about that, parents. On Christmas Day, you get your kids all the same gifts? They probably wouldn't like that. Especially if you got different age ranges. God knows the gifts that each of his kids needs. So he gives the gifts. And each of you gets good gifts. And each of you gets perfect gifts. They're from your Heavenly Father. So God wants us to flourish. He doesn't just want us to be sustained. He doesn't just want us to subside. He doesn't just want us to kind of squeak by. He wants flourishing lives. He wants flourishing disciples. Look at John chapter 10. Starting in verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So what does that mean, that abundant life? What does that mean to be abundant? It, I mean, it's not talking about physical things. I think we can all see that. It's not talking about luxury. It's not talking about the pleasures of this world. That doesn't make sense. He wants us abounding with the goodness of him. He wants his spirit in us, working through us, to bear much fruit. And a lot of times, we read a verse like this, it can actually be kind of discouraging to some of us, because we're like, well, do I have the abundant life? I mean, it's a good question to ask, but we're like, oh, if I'm not, if like life isn't perfect, or if I have trials in my life, or if I'm afflicted with something, well, then it's not abundant. Well, that's not true. I mean, if you start thinking about all the saints and the different things they dealt with, then I guess none of them had the abundant life either. Okay, it's not, I mean, trials, like, that's a guarantee from the Lord, literally. It's a promise. He promises that. So if he's going to promise something, we have to be able to still have the abundant life because he promises that too through Jesus. So it starts with Jesus and being in him and walking with him, walking in his ways and seeking him. And what I want us as a church to be able to do is, is I want us to be able to flourish from the cradle to the grave. All right, now some of you are you're, you're closer to the cradle. Some of you are closer to the grave, <laughs> all right? Just the truth. But that's why, as I've talked before, and what we're going to be doing today after church with our teachers and our parents is going over this new curriculum because we want all the way down, all the way up to flourish. And that comes in part, we're going to get to it in a second, through the Word. And it's not just stories that we're teaching our kids Man, I got stories I told you already. I got stories from the liberal church I grew up in. All right? At least they 
gave me the biblical stories. Uh, but they need to see, our kids need to see, and guess what we need to see? We need to see Jesus. All right? Interwoven throughout. There's a, 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 a kid's Bible. It's probably the best one I've ever seen. And um, it's got tons of pictures, too. That's not why I like it. <laughs> it's just got tons of pictures. It's perfect for younger ages. But what I like is the emphasis, and I, maybe I've told you this before, too, is the idea from beginning to end, God has a rescue plan for his people. He has a rescue plan for his children. And, and every story is, is bringing in some aspect or element of this idea of the rescue plan that God has for us. He's coming to rescue us. And it's not just like you get to the New Testament and, oh, there's Jesus, and, oh, yeah, I better do something because people are falling. Jesus, son, go do... No, that was the plan from the beginning. From the foundation of the world, John the Baptist says. So God has to be involved. We've got to be daily dependent on him. And the things I'm going to talk about, they're not going to help you one bit if you're not trusting him, if you're not dependent on him for the physical and the spiritual. Some of these things are just like no-brainers, okay? But guess what? You read Peter, he's like, I don't know how many times, maybe four or five times, he uses the word remembrance. I say these things to remind you. I say these things to remind you. Like, we need to be reminded of this stuff. So prayer is the first one. Listen to me. Spiritual growth starts in the closet. Spiritual growth starts in the closet. What do I mean by that? It means if we want to grow... We need to be serious about prayer. We need to get into our prayer closet. We need to get time alone with the Lord where we are seeking Him. Some of you, you might even be a believer for a number of years. You're not sure how to pray. Right? If you want to pray, you can never go wrong praying the Scriptures. You can just, you can just open up this Word, New Testament, Old Testament, read a passage, and, and pray that. Make that your prayer. There's even actual prayers in the Bible you can pray. You can turn to the Psalms, a most beautiful collection of words, and you can pray those. I mean, so if you're not sure what to pray, I mean, pray the Word. That's where you can start. Spiritual growth starts in the closet. Some of us, like that closet has been locked too long. We need to get back in our closet. Right, it's a little dusty in there because we haven't been in there. We haven't been visiting it. It's time for us to get back in there. All right? Dust it out. Get back in the closet. Spiritual growth starts in the closet. Second, the Word. Again, it's a no-brainer. We've got to be reminded of it. Like, I can say that, and, and probably everybody here would be like, yeah, and probably say amen. Amen? But... It does no good to intellectually assent to something if we don't follow through. Okay? Look at Psalm 18. Look at verse 30. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Alright, so God's word... Like, God is perfect, his way is perfect, his word is perfect. Why wouldn't we want to be in it? Why wouldn't we want to read it? In this past year, uh, towards the end of last year, 
You guys do Bible reading plans? Come on, y'all. Like, this is a little back and forth right now. Do y'all do Bible reading plans? I mean, you don't have to be on one right now, but have you ever done one? Okay. Can I just ask you a question? I just want an honest answer. When you guys have a Bible reading plan, does that, and it's not like a trick, trick question, but when you have a Bible reading plan, does that help you stay in the Word? Yeah. All right? It, it helps me stay in the Word, too. Like, when I have a Bible reading plan, it helps me stay on track. When I don't have a Bible reading plan, I don't stay on track. And people are like, that's so legalistic to try to use. You call it what you want. I need to be in the Word. If the plan helps me to do that, I'm going to use it. So anyway, at the end of last year, I was like, man, I, need to, I haven't been, didn't have a Bible reading plan for a little bit. So I'm like, I'm going to do a Bible reading plan. I took one that was a little more aggressive. And then in December, I was like sick for two weeks fighting something. And I got like... It was like, I don't know, 70 chapters behind or something like that. And I was like, man, I'm never going to catch up, right? But I was like, no, I like, I'm going to do this plan, all right? So slowly and slowly and slowly and slowly, I've been, I was chipping away. And then, but because it's so aggressive Bible plan, it's like you can read a whole bunch of chapters, but you just accomplish the chapters for that day. You know what I'm saying? So to catch up can actually take a little bit. <clears throat> so finally, like last week, I finally caught up, all right? But what's my point in that? Like, those, those, those things can help us out. We need to be in the Word, and when it's continually filtering into you, it has, like, a purifying effect, all right? So garbage in, like garbage out. Truth in, truth out. It has a purifying effect as you're, as you're taking it in, as you're feasting on it. If you just nibble at the edges, right? Right? You know, vegetables, you just eat like one little green bean a day. Is that going to help you? Like, not really. Okay? Like, I eat my vegetable. Mm. All right? One little, one little carrot and a little baby <laughs> and baby carrots. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that ain't going to help you. Like, you got to have, you got to have the vegetables. You got to have the fruit. You, you need more than just that. All right? You need like a serving. So just like, just like a little bit of the word every couple days. I mean, it's better than nothing. But, but you need a serving of it. All right? You need a serving of it. So we need the word. Look at, look at, I like how Paul puts it in Colossians uh, chapter one. I want you to look there. Because I really feel like, well, I'll read it and then I'll, I'll tell you what I feel. Colossians 1, uh, we're going to start in 28. He's talking about Jesus here. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And I, I like that because I feel like, I feel like that's kind of my calling, part of my calling for this church where he talks about teaching everyone with all wisdom. And, but what's his goal? Present everyone mature in Christ. Like, that's, that's another little phrase for flourish as a disciple. Mature in Christ. Mature in Christ. So the word, I mean, you could have the best speaker, the best orator. Um, he ain't going to do you much good 
if, if he's not giving you the word, right? So it's the word that does the work. Next is community. And this is why belong is so important. Listen, we flourish in community. We flourish in community. And a disciple, he's going to seek out answers, he's going to seek out training, he's going to seek out others. But here's the thing, the hand needs the foot. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, the hand needs the foot. Needs. All right, what does need mean? It means need. All right? The hand needs the foot. It needs it. And the foot needs the hand. It needs it. If you need something, it's vital. It's necessary. You got to have it. You can't do without it. A lot of times, if we're not careful, we're like, oh, I'm okay without, without the church. I'm okay without the members. I mean, that's, that, that's, we got to strike down that mentality. Okay, that's a very selfish me mentality. I don't need them. I can do it on my own. Listen, I understand if you've been hurt, okay? And, and it's hard to do. And, and community and fellowship, I mean, it's messy, all right? Because you've got to put up, put up with everybody else. But guess what? We've got to put up with you, all right? So, <clears throat> listen, we need to be honest, and we need to be really honest, and realize, like, we need one another. And all of us aren't the same. And if we want to be all the same, <clears throat> that's, that's the flesh speaking, honestly. All right? My flesh has said that at times. Like, if everyone just kind of had my same set of, of secondary and tertiary issues, like, everything would be great. No. Like, we're not trying to be automatons. We're not trying to be clones of one another. We need, we need difference. Why? Because uh, we can have diversity and still have unity. Okay, you can't have division and have unity, but you can have diversity. And God's made each one of us different. If, if we're all automatons and all robots and we all be like, you know, feet just hopping around, right? We'd be, we'd be the foot, right? We can't do that. We need the hand, we need the body. So we flourish in community and we miss out, I miss out, if you're not, if you're not here, if you're not belonging, if you're not a part of the community, and other people too miss out too. We're missing out on what you have to give to the community. We're missing out on your gifts. So that's the second thing, community. I need you. I need you. I need every single person, all right? And so do you. You need the other members of this church to flourish. That is a very painful truth for some of you to admit. But you need one another. If you want to flourish, you need the body. That's the third thing. Fourth, which ties into third, the third is service. Look at Matthew, Matthew 20, 25. Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercised authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That word serve there is the verb form of what we would use as the noun deacon. 
Deacon or servant, they're used interchangeably in the New Testament depending on your version. Jesus came to serve. He came to serve. He came to serve. Discipleship has no place for the me, me, me attitude. So you should use your gift. God's gifted each one of you that's a believer here with a spiritual gift. At least one. He's gifted you. And you're supposed to use your gift in service to others. That goes back to the community. I mean, if you think about it, like God gives you a spiritual gift. If you're just like the Lone Ranger Christian, how do you use your gift? I mean, you can't use your gift outside of community. You've got to have community to use your gift. I mean, just think about it. And it kind of just makes sense, right? So, I mean, you've got to have community. Community is vital for us to use the gift that God has given us. So you use your gift in service to others. And listen to this. This is important. God has designed you. He's designed you to be the most fed when you're feeding others. Think about that for a second. When you're pouring yourself out for others, God's pouring right back in. And to be given to from the Lord when we're given to others. So you're ministering, you're pouring out. A lot of times, God blesses that greatly. So you're ministering to others, you end up being ministered to. This is why we have the motto at Liberty, every member ministry. We want every member serving in some capacity. It's because we realize the Father's design for each of us is to serve and to do ministry. We want people doing what they were designed to do. You have a divine design. Now, doing these things, it doesn't guarantee growth. Why? Because you have to want the desire to want to grow. I mean, think of the student who hates math, and they're required to take it. She goes to all the classes, does the homework, takes the test, but she fails the class. I mean, it's possible she just went through the motions. So we have to look outside ourselves and past ourselves. We have to want to want to grow. And think about it for a second. Each one of us is here because someone helped us to grow on our journey with the Lord. None of us can stand here and say, yep, I'm, I'm here, I made it this far all on my own. Not a single one of us. So everyone who's grown in their relationship will always have someone who's helped them out along the way. That goes back to the community, but it also goes back to that community being willing to serve. And some of you, including myself, we owe a great debt of gratitude and thanks to people who have poured into us so much. Like, we wouldn't be at where we're at without their service. Because they decided to be a part of the community, we benefited from it. Because they decided to be involved, then we were there for them to pour into us. And we were blessed richly. One church started a marriage ministry. You're like, oh, well, that's good. Well, guess who started it? The young, single people in the church. They saw the importance of marriages being strengthened, and they wanted to help with that. So they set it up for parents to be able to drop off their kids at church on a certain night of the week and for the parents to go out as couples individually on their own date nights. I mean, those single people, I mean, that 
They didn't get anything from that personally, but it's back to serving the community. Serving the community. So practically, what, is, what does flourishing look like here? It looks like many things. Part of it is understanding the Bible and what it says on certain topics. And I want it to happen from the top down, but I also want it to happen from the bottom up. Okay? So one of the things that I've started doing, the deacons and the elders, that's our staff, are uh, going to start going through a book together. Actually, it's been put off a couple, a couple times, but this Wednesday will be the first time we're going through a book uh, really on marriage and faithfulness to marriage, a number of reasons why, um, but I just feel like marriage is under attack in our society. Um, second, I've already mentioned the children's nursery. I want to see us flourish at all ages. The elders are going through a book on relationships and ministry too. It's a great little book. We might end up using it in our life groups at some point, um, but it's about cultivating relationships and how to be kind of like real with one another. We're just, you know, we're covering a chapter every time we meet. Um, I'm taking the older high school young men um, through a book by John Piper. Awesome book, Don't Waste Your Life is what it's called. Um, why, am I, why am I doing these things? Why am I instituting some of these things? I mean, it, that's not the end of like discipleship or flourish. That's the beginning. But my heart is to put before you an example that I hope you'll want to follow and that you'll see as biblical to follow. Because I want to pour into people. I want you to see the importance of pouring into people. I'm going to take my gift, okay, which is teaching, and I'm going to utilize that gift. Your gift might be different, but I want you to take your gift and utilize it for the community as well. And we can only pour into others what we've been drinking ourselves. All right? if, I, if I pour orange juice into a pitcher... When I take that pitcher and come over to the table to serve it, like, what's going to come out? Orange juice. Orange juice. Why? Because that's what I put in the pitcher. What you put in is what you're going to get out. Okay, too many of us, if, if, we're, if we're maybe honest, we just haven't been drinking the best, the best juice. All right? Disease juices, poisonous liquids, and we're expecting to pour out healthy drinks. Ain't going to happen. Listen, all this stuff I've been saying, it is easier to conceptually embrace a doctrine or an area of biblical truth than to live in light of that doctrine. What does that mean? Let me just say it again for you. Easier to conceptually embrace a doctrine or area of biblical truth than to live in light of that doctrine. Basically, it's easier to assent to a teaching, like nod your head, oh yeah, that's true, than to practice it. Okay? It's easy to nod your head. It's easy to be like, yeah, that's true. In your mind, you can say, yep. But in your heart, you're just like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. So we learn it, and then we have to practice it. Simply learning will not do. Learning how to witness is not enough. Knowing how to witness is not enough. We actually have to witness. Learning about finances is not enough. Knowing how to give and what to give is not enough. We actually must give. So we have to go from knowing to doing. From what I like to say is right thinking to right action. I mean, this is the go that we'll be talking about in future weeks. We belong, we flourish, we go. Now there's impediments to our growth. 
And the thing that pretty much covers all of it, it's one little word. It's not a four-letter word. It's a three-letter word. Sin. Sin will impede your growth greatly. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. In verse 1 he says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So we have to lay aside the sin. What does it say? It clings so closely. I think the NIV says something like it entangles us, or it used to at least. All right? I mean, sin can just get all over us. We've got to throw it off because it will impede growth. I was at Sears the other day having my tires balanced and rotated. And, um, and the gentleman who was helping me out um, you know, said a, a curse word. And then um, as I was sharing, I was like, you know, what church do you go to? And, and so he was sharing that with me. And as soon as I, I said that, and as soon as I started sharing with him, he immediately began apologizing to me um, for his foul language. I didn't, even, I didn't even say anything to him about it. I was just like asking him some questions about where he was at in his journey. But when he admitted he went to church... I mean, he felt really guilty about it. He felt actually so guilty that he apologized three more times for it. Maybe because I, when he told me the church, he was thinking like I was going to call his pastor or something. I don't know. But even as I was walking out the door later, like he made it a point to apologize again for his foul language. Um, just a side note, like if we're going to identify with Christ, we've got to act like Christ. All right? Um, I don't know that gentleman. I don't know his story, okay? So who knows what, what he's, what's going on in his life and where he's at with the Lord. But if we're going to identify with Christ, we've got to act like Christ. That means no, no more what some of us call a potty mouth, right? The example of Christ. Like, I've read the Gospels many times, all right? Many, many times. I don't see Christ using curse words at all. Now, does he use strong words? Yes. Does he use foul language? No. Does he use blunt language? Yes, at times. But foul language or curse words? No. So, there's nothing in the Gospels that Christ says that gives us any idea that that type of language is acceptable. So don't in one breath say you want to be like Christ and then in the next breath have those words coming out of your mouth. I mean, James talks about that. Like, the fresh water and the salt water can't come from the same mouth. That includes curse words. It also includes derogatory language. It also includes gossip. It also includes slander, which you could even argue are even worse than curse words because those damage many, many people. Those can ruin relationships. Those can destroy churches. So we need to be careful with our language through and through. That stuff does not please the Lord. To conclude, I want us to flourish for a lifetime. My hope and my prayer for us is lifelong growth. Flourish at all ages. So God will give you growth if you seek it. And he doesn't just want you growing for five years. He doesn't just want you growing for ten years. He wants you to grow 
throughout your life. That should actually be an encouragement. Like, you're not just going to hit a place where you're just like, you're just flatline. I mean, you could hit a place where you're flatline, but that's not what the Lord wants. He promises growth if you seek Him. Our first years, especially if you're saved kind of later in life, I mean, our first years is like we're just like growing off the charts. But then we can start to, to mellow out. But if we're not careful, we mellow out too much and we kind of we, we flatline. We need fresh fruit. All right? I got fruit from 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Praise the Lord. But God wants fruit today, too. And he says, if you abide in me, you will bear a tiny little piece of fruit. No, much fruit. Much fruit. And think about Moses. He accomplished his ministry that was set before him. Right? He, he served until the day he died. Same with Aaron. Literally served until the day he died. Like, praise the Lord for that. Like, retirement, like, what's that? Like, he kept serving. And the, undi- the idea of retirement, it's not like, you know, just chilling out in life. But think about that. Some of you that have full-time jobs outside of the home, like, now you're no longer encumbered by that job, so the doors of ministry, like, are wide open for you. You know, when, you've, when you're committing 40 to 60 hours at work, that is a ministry. might not be the ministry you would necessarily choose, but it's the one the Lord has you at right now. But all of a sudden, boom, 40 to 60 hours freed up. That's not for, to free you up for the greens and another 18 holes. Like now, all those things you thought about, considered, are open and possible for you to do as ministry to the Lord. That's awesome. So go as far as you can. Serve the Lord young. Serve the Lord old. I think it was George Whitfield who said, I'd rather burn out than rust out. I'd rather burn out than rust out. So like, let's, let's, let's burn, man. Let's burn for the Lord. Let's go. Let's serve. Disciples that are flourishing are those privately fellowshipping with the Lord on a regular basis. They're corporately worshiping the Lord on a regular basis. They're gathered together. And they're intentionally living out their Christianity. Let's pray. Lord, help this church, help the members here to be disciples that flourish. Give give the elders the wisdom to equip the saints. Give the ministry leaders the wisdom and discernment to minister rightly. Help us all, God, to be willing servants. Whatever you call us to do. The upfront jobs, the behind-the-scenes jobs, the job everyone sees, the job no one sees. We want to be faithful to whatever you call us to do. The ministry no one thinks is a big deal. The ministry everyone thinks is a big deal, God. Wherever you put us, let us be faithful servants. We want to flourish, God, We want to bear much fruit. And you've designed it so that we do that with one another. We thank you that we have fellowship with you. We thank you we can come every week, Lord, and gather with the saints and sing your praises. We thank you you've gifted different individuals in our community here to minister to us 
the worship team leading us each week. God, we're thankful for that. The guys in the back, the AV team, doing stuff and making sure, even now, that people can hear my voice, Lord. The nursery workers, the catechism teachers, the ushers, on and on it goes, God. It takes all of us in service with one another, God, to flourish. So let us continue, Father, to put you first. Let us continue to seek your face. Let us continue, Lord, to strive for growth. You promise it, Father. You commit to it. You say much fruit. So we believe it, Lord, and we ask that you would do it in our own lives. We thank you that every gift, every good and perfect gift comes from you, and you certainly have lavished it upon all of us. We love you, Father. Amen.